0: everyone. Welcome back to Hello Beauty. Today's special guest is Joey Healy. He is an entrepreneur and one of the most influential and sought-after eyebrow specialists in the industry. In this episode, he shares the lessons he learned along the way in building his business from his studio apartment to his very own eyebrow studio, as well as developing his own product line. He gives insights and tips on how he made it and also shares the steps in creating the perfect eyebrows. I definitely had a fun time interviewing Joey. This episode has tons of nuggets of wisdom about business and beauty. Stick around to hear what he thinks about microblading and so much more. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Joey Healy.
1: I think that the key for, for unlocking inner beauty is to embrace your flaws and to celebrate them. Um, and then to focus on the word enhancement and not fixing. And then I think if you can kind of look at beauty that way, then all of that great inner beauty inside, all that feel good energy comes out, you give it to others. It kind of unlocks all of that great stuff.
0: Hello, beauty. Yes. You join me host Joyce Platon as I chat with today's beauty, wellness and lifestyle visionaries let's discover their motivating journey together as I merge my love for the art and my passion in revealing one's true inner beauty. Welcome to Hello Beauty, Joey.
1: Hey Joey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I know, welcome back to LA. Thank you. I know you're here once a year.
1: I am, I come usually once a year around award season and I'm enjoying the good weather in February. It's not like this in New York.
0: I know, you're such a jet setter. (laughs) I love it, back and
1: forth, (laughs) all over. Of course,
0: that's the way to go, right? That is the way
1: to go, it's so easy these days.
0: So I want to learn more about you before your success as an entrepreneur and eyebrow specialist, what was your background and what led you to this entrepreneurial journey?
1: Yes, that's a great question. I actually have a business degree. I went to Villanova and I studied marketing. And I think at the time I thought that that was a very formal education that might not, you know, I didn't see myself working in a big corporate office. Mm -hmm. Looking back, that was actually really a great foundation for me because it did give me a lot of the tools that I needed to create my own business. I was working as a print makeup artist. I know you were in a similar Situation, working as a makeup artist, going to set, set life. Um, And that wasn't the best fit for me. So I was moved to New York when I was 20, when I graduated, and started working in beauty. That was a mix of retail. I worked at Bloomingdale's, Bergdorf Goodman, Barney's. Um, I did a lot of that print work. I ended up working at the New York City Ballet for a handful of years, which was a great job. And then I decided I wanted a more formal education in beauty. So I became an esthetician. I went to the Aveda Institute in Soho. And I learned all about skincare. And then, armed with all of those things, I started my own business. And it's, you know fair to say that during that time, eyebrows were always a very, very important thing for me. It was a signature in my work. Um, as a makeup artist, people would always ask me to fill in their brows um, after photo shoots or to tweeze their brows. Or if I had a, a bride who I would get her brows in shape for her wedding alongside, you know, the bridal makeup, she'd ask me to come back to her apartment months later. So I was known for, for doing brows. And so that really seemed to be the direction that I was being pushed in, armed with all of those tools that I had gathered earlier in my career. and I started my brow business around 23 so I was pretty young and then it just sort of organically grew very quickly and it's been a great journey about 10 years now.
0: Yeah, it was through word of mouth.
1: Word of mouth was a big one. Exactly. And it was also just like I had a, an organic passion for it. It was friends. I was doing their brows or, you know, it was just I would hang back on set and do brows for people, you know, the hairstylists and everything. So it was just kind of born out of passion. And then word of mouth is a big thing, you know, and it spread quickly. And I actually started doing house calls. That's how I started. I would go to people's homes, mostly in the Upper East Side where I lived at the time, and... Um, yeah, those girls are Gabby. And so (laughs) it was a lot of word of mouth. And then my business grew from there until I had a very, very full book. And then I was ready to expand. Mm
0: -hmm. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur growing up?
1: You know, I didn't always know I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But looking back, I see that there were a lot of signs that I was a born entrepreneur. Um, One is that I don't like authority. (laughs) I always was very um, self-directed, self-motivated, I've always been a very much of a go-getter, and I do think outside of the box. And I think with the brow industry, I saw a lot of opportunity to create a luxury brow service because at the time, this wasn't that long ago, there really weren't brow specialists, very few. And it was all about waxing or going to the nail salon. Even threading wasn't really a thing. It was just kind of an afterthought. So I think that the way I look at the world is with a problem-solving eye, and that coupled with a lot of motivation and and drive, I think that an entrepreneur makes, but I don't know that I could be so driven with other categories of things. It's eyebrows and me are very, it's a symbiotic relationship. We, we, I love them. And so that has specifically driven me. So finding my passion, I feel like that wanted that, that led me to sort of take it to the next level. So it was really a combination of that drive, but finding the thing that you're willing to, to, you know, Mm -hmm. go for.
0: Yeah. At what point did you realize you wanted to pursue your business? Like were you at retail and you're just thinking and daydreaming and you're like, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to start it.
1: Yeah, you know, it started in a very small way It's like a side hustle. And, you know, as a makeup artist, you're always hustling to to get some money. And I would be, you know, every job I did was like a couple hundred dollars here, a thousand dollars here. And I was really waiting on checks in the mail. And it's very unsteady when you're a makeup artist. You never really know how to budget your life because you really don't know what you're earning. So to supplement that kind of earning that was inconsistent, I started doing those eyebrows on the side. And so, I think the turning point where I was like this is a real business was when I started to out earn myself in my retail job and in my ballet job I was there was a lot of potential and there was a lot of money left on the table because there was a lot of clients I couldn't see. I started to really think about it. I thought, you know, sometimes with certain things in life, you're kind of up against a wall and you're pushing and fighting so hard. And a lot of times with print makeup work, it felt like that for me. Booking the next thing was very difficult, but the brow work was just flowing in. So I took a minute to pause. I saw where is all of this great, you know, opportunity coming from. And that's when I thought this is a real business and this is scalable and that's when I kind of put a halt on everything else, and then 100% dedicated myself to my business. And the minute I stopped being like a jack of all trades and really dedicated myself to my brow business was the minute it really exploded. Because I have a lot of energy, but I still have a limited amount of energy. So I needed to, to give it that direction. That's when it became real for me.
0: Yeah. So it's like, did you start with just when you started booking all the clients, and then eventually you had enough capital to come up with your product line?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it was. I had a very low overhead model. It mm-hmm. was one of the great things about having a house call set up. Now I have a, a ground level thousand mm-hmm. square foot studio in Manhattan. That's mm-hmm. not free. I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my landlord would yeah. agree with me. But um, in the beginning, it was just me with tweezers, scissors, you know, and my two legs walking up and down the streets of New York and going to people and doing brows. So it was actually not as difficult to to gather capital because I had such a low overhead. I I had no employees. um, And I'm a good saver, I always have been. So I was saving, 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 and that's how I did get enough capital to start my product line. And it started with just a a few small products. And um, that quickly earned back the, the opening order. I broke even pretty quickly because I already had the client base in place. A lot of times when you launch a product, you then think, okay, now who's gonna buy this? Where are the clients? I had the opposite problem where I had the clients. And I didn't have the product for them. So I it was a pretty quick sell-through on the first production run.
0: Yeah. Was that when the light bulb hit when you're like, okay, I do am providing the service, but I don't have products? Or were you like, what made you decide to just, you know, come up with products instead of just continuing with like providing service? Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it definitely was that. It was a couple things. One was that I had a collection of things that I would finish clients off with. An Armani pencil, a Shuamura powder. Things that I liked and I would send them with a shopping list to Saks or Sephora to, to buy things when they left and they were so excited to go buy those things. I, it was that head-scratching moment where I thought, wait, I could sell these things, make it easier for them, and of course, I know the formulas I like and what can be approved upon. That was another thing too, is I didn't think that the things I was recommending were perfect. I thought that they were great options, but there wasn't things for women of color. There wasn't things for redheads. You know, there was hard to find a retractable pencil, believe it or not. It's so common now, but they were all sharpenable. Um, there were gaps in the market. Things weren't waterproof. Pencils really didn't look natural, for example. There weren't um, growth serums that didn't have hormones. There was a lot of things missing. So those together the opportunity mixed with the, um, the opportunity in the market, mixed with the opportunity to capitalize on the client base I already had, definitely led me toward creating the product line.
0: Yeah. Walk me through the your development of your business through like manufacturing, product development, mm-hmm. branding. Like what was the process like?
1: So the process was pretty much all all systems go at once, right? Yeah. Um firing from all decks. Um the logo was something I kind of drew on a napkin, had a friend who was a graphic designer. That was 10 years ago. It's the same logo today. It, it aged well, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it was very simple and clean, is a good way to go for a logo. Um I had a basic website that I was using for my makeup artistry, and I dedicated a of it to eyebrows so that was sort of back in 2007 enough for people to kind of get in touch with you. Um, Yelp was a big deal then and kind of continues to be for local business so establishing a presence there um, was important for me this was giving like you know the whole online like you know the way to search and and dig in and how to book and all of those things then it was really with the product development. I found a North American manufacturer who was really helpful because I didn't have the capacity to go overseas. I couldn't handle the the minimum orders. So I found a North American cosmetic. Through the internet? Just through the internet, right. I mean, you can. people are like, how do you find someone to make products? You can Google like North American cosmetics manufacturers who make pressed powders, who make pencils. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's great about them is you can call them, you can talk to a sales rep. And it's not the most difficult relationship to secure. It's not like you have to put on the hairnet and go in and start doing all the chemistry. (laughs) You know, you have a sales representative who helps you with formulation. You get into a contract with them, contract manufacturing, where you work with your research and development team. Um, I sent over products that were on the market that I liked. I sent over... Um, paint swatches from paint stores of colors I liked, um, long descriptions of things that I wanted about texture. Um, I signed into contracts that usually gave me about five prototypes that I could work through before, you know, signing off on a final product. Um, so not unlike any other contract, it was just sort of like a, a business to business negotiation. And then I would get sent prototypes and I would make notes on them. And until so I got things exactly where I wanted them. Um, packaging was another story, but I've always kept things quite simple. Black matte packaging. I wanted it to be and to women. Um, so that was kind of what got me started. And I think the big thing about using manufacturers, particularly in North America, are you might pay a higher per unit cost, which I did, but I also was able to order into lower quantities, a couple hundred instead of tens of thousands. And I did some stuff on my own too. Like I would go to a label manufacturer to print labels for the back of them. And I'd hand apply them or for like my clear gels and serums, I'd hand apply labels instead of paying more to get the laser printing. So I figured it out as I went. Now I have like these tuck unicarton boxes where, you know, like most makeup uh, products. But in the beginning, I had leatherette drawstring bags. Um, so I kind of pieced it together. And then it resembled a real product line. Yeah. <laughs> and then it kind of grew from there. And we scaled and were able to manufacture in different ways. And now we have about seven or eight manufacturers globally. But it started very small, with is an internet search and a phone call.
0: Yeah. Throughout this process, did you have a mentor?
1: You know, I didn't have a mentor, which was interesting. And I, I wish to be that for somebody else mm-hmm. because I had made a lot of mistakes and (laughs) (laughs) i I wish i had it but um i never really had a mentor but i also think that there was something that was nice about kind of going in blind and figuring it out myself it taught me to be very resourceful and if i made a mistake i'd have to figure out the solution Mm -hmm. um you know between my business education and my i think general like you know wherewithal and need to invest and in get to the bottom of things, so I was able to solve most problems. I always did have a little bit of guidance from my accountant, who continues to be my accountant. His name is Chris. He's very helpful. Mm-hmm. My father's just a great guy. And I love talking to him and picking his ear. And even though you know he's not a, an industry leader in beauty, <laughs> <laughs> he always just gave me good kind of father-son advice. And so I've always been very open to taking advice from people who, who knew better than I. But I also think I always listen to the clients. Sometimes the clients were the mentors. I don't like products that do this. I wish this color had less red. I mean, I kind of always have open ears, but there was never a figure for me who really led the way. But I mean, I figured it out.
0: Yeah. Can you talk to me about those mistakes that you encountered?
1: Well, certain things, I think, um, with little mistakes. Like I think of even like the accounting stuff and like the building a business, how to properly trademark. Um, I didn't trademark products or my logo for a while because I didn't realize that there'd be a vulnerability there. Uh, with manufacturing how to get in like i've had issues where products were um i didn't do a final sign off on something and the shade was wrong and then it was a debate back and forth on who was financially responsible for it so it was having really clear um, decision-making points with a manufacturer, um, even for the business how I'm structured. I'm an S corp. I used to be an LLC. What was the most tax-efficient structure? So things that sometimes seem like boring or they're above you, but you really do have to get to the bottom of those things because they can collapse a business. Um, you know. Even later on in my business, when I started hiring a team of people, management was hard for me. I never had managed. I actually was very much a self-starter, as I described, an entrepreneur. I always liked the idea of kind of working solo, which, you know, as a makeup artist, everything you do. But then when I had to start to, you know, hire and sometimes fire, you know, a handful of people, I had to really understand um, some of the finer points of management, which I think I got over time. Um, So maybe not so much mistakes, it's just learning curves, you know, and... I think I learned more in making those like you know having those little lapses of uh, of things going smooth um those things were teachers for me and I, you learn more going forward and I'm sure there's many mistakes in front of me that I have yet to make yeah. but if there's a mistake I've made it that's what happens in business <laughs>
0: and sometimes in business it's like you really will not learn unless you get your foot in the door and actually like get and dive in it, you know? Yeah,
1: you absolutely have to. And that's the thing is kind of going head first is important. Wow. I don't think I would have t- taken as many risks had I known about all of those complicated things. I You're think like, that, no way. Exactly. <laughs> Ignorance is total bliss because even opening a store, it's so complicated to run a retail store. But I was like, ah, whatever, I'll figure it out when I get there. And then, of course, it's overwhelming. But, you know, I think if I had known all those things in front of me, I might have been talked out of it. So I'm kind of about forging ahead with measured risk yeah. um, and then, you know, figuring it out. In the moment,
0: mm-hmm. you talked about managing people. What is your company culture like and how do you nurture it?
1: Our company culture is very close. There's a team of eight that work directly for me. Um, we see each other every day, and we're just being a small team, we are rather tight. I think a big thing is that I'm there all the time. I'm in studio um, five days a week. I'm working alongside them. Um, I certainly pitch in everything that we do. So I feel like it's leading by example is one of the best ways to lead. The brass specialists have you know a lot of work to do. They have a lot of clients with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different challenges. You know, it's hard to get the work done in a lot of period of time. It's just, you know you're standing up all day. But I know that it's possible because they see me doing it right next to them. So I think that that's a big thing. I'm not the kind of business owner who's off on a yacht somewhere checking in via text once a day. Um, I'm there with them kind of in the trenches. And I think that creates a good company culture because we're all there for each other. And I'm also very careful about hiring. I hire people who I think have a good heart. People who have a lot of personal warmth. I want a business that's high end and luxurious, but I don't want it to be cold and off putting. Sometimes, you know how that can be. You go to Saks, and it's all the attitudes, or you know. (laughs) And I, people in beauty sometimes can have that, they lead with a little narcissism or ego. And everyone who works for me is really um, on brand. And the brand, there's you know pillars of the brand, which are quality, luxury, but definitely education and personal warmth. And they're people who explain to you what they're doing. They take time. They're nurturing. Um, they are all estheticians, the ones who are brow specialists. And I think there's something about an esthetician that's a little bit nurturing. You're sort of a caretaker. And then the same goes for admin and reception. So everybody, I sort of hand select. And I guess that that's one thing is everyone goes through me. They're interviewed and selected by me. So just the fact that I'm curating them make, makes it kind of, they're all hand picked and trained by me. Um, the culture, I think, is upbeat, positive, tight knit, and we all pitch in for each other.
0: Yeah, and you're spending like hours and hours with them throughout the day. Yeah. You want to have fun, you, you know? Totally. You don't want to dread
1: thing. going to work. <laughs> I, and that's the best thing about creating your own work environment. It's like yeah. you can create the workplace. And no one likes to work in a workplace that has drama. And so if you're kind of hand-selecting the team and you're setting the tone, you can mostly avoid that. Yeah. And I think we have really good clear communication. And um, we all respect each other. And that's, that's a big one for me. Mm-hmm. And the times that things haven't really worked out with an employee, it's usually happened pretty quickly where it just didn't feel like the perfect fit. And then they've either moved themselves along or been moved along. But I think that in the beginning when I started, it was hard to find the really great team members that were really going to stick around. There's usually a little bit of turnover when you kind of start a business. But I think that our sweet spot about a year and a half, two years in where we really had a team who's solid and um, there's the girls who've been there for a year or two years or plus. And so I think that we're really kind of feeling rooted and grounded in the team now. Less turnover and and, um, certainly getting tighter all the time.
0: What is something that's unique about you or your business, your products that not a lot of people know about?
1: That's a great question. Something that's unique. Well, I think that for us, I don't think people. Realize the attention to detail that's so important because I feel like in cosmetics, for example, like, you know, the end user isn't always the one who is being made the decisions for. Whereas for me, I listen to all the clients and their need sets. So when I'm creating a product, I really have them in mind. So it's products that are being created by somebody who's in communication with thousands of end users directly, not just, you know, in a market research group, but by working with them and trying the products on them. Um, The attention to detail also lends itself into our space. Every single thing is thought about from the teacup your tea is is served in to, you know, where everything is arranged, where the track lighting is pointed, how everything was set up in that studio is done so, so meticulously by myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You do that. (laughs) Totally. It's all meant to give good energy and vibes. I just really put myself in the client perspective all the time and everything is about them. So it's it's detail, detail, detail. And I think that the business has my, you know, my fingerprints all over it um, because you can really see that, I'm involved and we really pay extraordinary attention. Of course, that comes down to the work too, which is hair by hair. Sometimes, you know, one of the brow specialists will come to the lunchroom after she finishes a client and she wants to talk to me about a client that she just had and one hair and how with the decision she made with it and why it was so challenging. And that's the kind of conversations we love having because we we're so, so, so detail oriented. And I think in this day and age, It's about fast fashion, fast beauty, fast blowouts, fast, fast, fast. And for us, we're 40-minute long appointments. It's a long brow appointment. It's about painstaking attention to detail. But again, that's reflected in the product line, the physical space, and Mm -hmm. everything that we do.
0: Yeah, and it's something even if we want something fast, we also want it to last longer. Totally. Yeah. That's
1: just that speed is not always better. And there's faster ways to get your eyebrows done, notably (laughs) threading and waxing. But for me, they're not as detail-oriented. So I kind of like the process of slowing it all down.
0: Yeah. What is your advice to those that are interested in getting into a business something like yours?
1: Okay, that's a great question too. Getting into the business. So I think it's first is mastering the craft or, you know, being willing to master the craft. And that means continuing education and all of that because you can be as business savvy as possible with as much capital as possible. But if you're not really great at what you're doing, you're not going to get that far because you can have even the best website, the best products. But if you're a hairstylist and you're doing really crazy haircuts, like, you know, you're not going to be able to gain the reputation that's going to keep you around. So um, learn as much as you can. And ask for help. I think that's a big one. Definitely asking for help, um, leading with confidence and not fear, because there's so many things, like I said, that can't go wrong in a business. So you really just have to be your number one cheerleader. Um, but really, listening and asking for help, I think, is a big one too, because. You, there's a difference between confidence and then um, ego, right? So you want to just kind of like forge your way ahead. But if you have a good product and that could be products, meaning your service, but you have something really great to offer and then you know how to ask the right questions, I think you'll be good. But don't be afraid to start small either, because when I started, it was those house calls It was very, very modest. And then I went and did a brass out of my studio apartment. Then I had a very small brow studio on the seventh floor of a building all the way down the hall. So it did take time to grow. So don't try to create something too big too quickly because then you can get yourself in a position where you go out of business very quickly. So I say, you know, grow slowly and nurture each step so you can grow to the next. But I think growing fast is a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I did read that when you first started, you were taking clients in your pseudo apartment. You would just put up the Murphy bed and then your bathroom was filled with products and you would shower hour in the gym. Exactly. That's an amazing story.
1: It was. I literally had a very small studio apartment and even by New York standards, it was tiny. And I saw my clients there and I had all of my products were literally behind the shower curtain was a solid wall of products in that bathtub. And I I just worked from that space and I really kind of built a lot there. And and even was to the point where I'd have like, you know, celebrities coming for brows in my like little studio apartment. It was cool. Like it started to turn into like this this business that um I was kind of doing as a hobby in the beginning in some ways or a side hustle and it kind of turned into something real. And I didn't leave that studio apartment for two years of of doing brows till I went to my next stage, which was like basically an office space that I made into a beautiful studio. But I was always really lean and I, I only hired employees as I needed them. I only took space if I needed it. Um, and so I kind of grew in a very like measured amount. Sometimes, you know, you, someone wants to open a restaurant and they start with four of them all over like Los Angeles. It's like, that's really getting in over your head because then you're, you're really under water right away and you have to have tremendous success to make yourself, to get your way through. I think that I always was able to take a hit hit if something ever happened and still thrive because I hadn't over leveraged myself. So even though I've taken some chances, I, I kind of am believe in like kind of small growth people ask me all the time when are you gonna have a second location when are you gonna have a location in miami and los angeles and i think when the time comes i'll know um but right now i feel like you know i don't want to over leverage so i think that that's wise
0: but yeah you're in it for the long run anyway oh yeah, yeah. i'm in it
1: for the long run and that's the thing it's i don't want to be a flash in the pan you know yeah. a long slow burn and with that attention to detail and quality i think when you get too big too quick sometimes it's hard to keep that in mind the quality right so it sometimes that suffers
0: Yeah. What do you think is the most common reason why people fail or they give up when they're, you know, going through a business?
1: I think that the inability to face failure or because you're going to at some point, it's just you might as well prepare for it now and have the right attitude about it. A lot of people just they just can't handle a setback. They can't get back on their feet. Um, And, you know, some setbacks are larger than others. I think you can psych yourself out. It's also easy to look on Instagram or to even like watch this or listen to this and think that it's so easy. I, tr- I like to kind of explain to people that it's really not that easy. And I, I, my job is to make it look easy. That's what I do for my clients. When they come into the space, I, I make everything is beautiful. It's running smoothly. But sometimes in my head, I'm like, we're a hot mess right now. I'm like, everything's falling apart, but it never really is. But I think that's the, the, when we look at other people, we think everyone else has it together so much. And I don't, and I'm not, this is this is bigger than I can handle. But the truth is, is that everybody, even in giant companies and big cosmetic brands, they always feel like, you know, the sky's falling down too. So it's about the ability to prepare for failure, not to let it knock you down, and also not to to kind of stay in your own lane. And know that everyone that you think is doing such a great job is having tons and tons of struggles that mirror your own. You know, it's about, you know, Unending optimism, I yeah. guess. Never ending well of hope and, and, and charisma. And I have to say, too, I, I've had a few really great breaks in my life where I, you know, did a browse on Good Morning America. Or I had a really, I was in W Magazine with like a profile. And those are the things that I they came at times where I needed them the most, where I was just like kind of feeling down about things. So, you know, look for the bright spots and focus on those. And don't focus on the negative because the negative will be there, too.
0: Yeah. And I think like with what you do, it's like you just have to keep your blinders on and keep your head down. Yeah, Because totally. if you start comparing yourself, that's when it starts getting overwhelming. Yeah,
1: comparison yeah. Is, is is the death of everything. You yeah. just don't want to do that. And also, there's no secret that a lot of this is just hard work. So if you're not prepared to work hard, you're going to fail. I feel like sometimes you see this in like kind of like the millennial thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like being of, of a different generation where instant gratification is valued and sometimes expected. And um, not to say that all millennials are like that, but it's, it's a sentiment that sort of is a around. And, you know, hard work is a a big part of this. And, you know, what I share with people is a lot of the glamorous things like, yeah, we're doing a podcast in LA. And of course, it's it's amazing and fun. It is one of, you know, the great highlights of having a career like this. But it's also sometimes it's cleaning the toilet at the brow studio until 10pm. So, Working hard, if you're not willing to work hard, then you might as well, you know, throw in the towel now because it's going to be hard work. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard work. Any business owner will tell you the same thing.
0: Yeah. And if you're a business owner, it's a 24 seven job.
1: It is. It is in the sense that, you know, like, you know, for my, for us, the store is open seven days a week. We're closed like five or six days a year. So even if it's a day off for me, like when I finish a yoga class, I run right to my phone. Did anything happen? Is anything going on? Like you're never really disconnected. Um, I'm starting to figure out ways to sort of separate myself mentally from the business when I don't absolutely need to be there. But the truth is, is 24 seven, 100 percent, you know, you're responsible for your business.
0: Yeah. And what is that like? What do you do to keep yourself sane?
1: Well, you know, I don't know that I'm doing a great job, (laughs) but what I've tried, um, I've mentioned yoga. It really has been a wonderful discovery in my life. Um, You know, it's about being fit and physically healthy. Also, just, you know, if you're a makeup artist, a tattoo artist, a hairstylist, anything where you're like hunched over, you're, you're leaning. I think it's great to have that openness in your body by going through those asanas and stretching and all that. So that just makes me feel really good. And it's a daily thing I do. Um, and that to me, rebalances me. I choose to do it at the end of the day because I feel like I can kind of shake it off. I also like to indulge in a lot of hobbies that are very insular and solo because I'm so client facing. I like, I'm a, I'm a people person, but when I go home, I like to cook. I love to read. I, I, things that are just sort of like, you know, just me with myself. So. I do like to socialize, but I think I build in time for myself and that really helps me recharge. I also, I like to be home. I think in my 20s I was out all the time, but in my 30s I like to be home with the kitty cat, making a meal, (laughs) reading a book, and then the next morning I leave and I feel like I've recharged my battery.
0: Yeah, that's like me. I'm like an introvert, extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think you kind of need both, right? And then there's, and one balances out the other. Uh And you can't have too much of either.
0: That's true. And I did see in your um, recent story, you did... Do an infrared sauna. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. So that's like part of you, like taking the me time. Yeah,
1: I try to indulge in like in like the wellness of of the industry that we're in, which is I'm a pamperer. My job is to make people look and feel good. So I take cues from that too. And sometimes you know even like doing like an at home facial where okay. it's eye masks and clay masks and all of those great things. I like to pamper myself too because you take care of others, you have to take care of yourself even more so. You yeah,
0: a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 So I know that you also have a master class. I do. Yeah, tell me about it. And then what can people expect in that class? Absolutely.
1: So I love having events. So I'm in in New York City. We have a great store. And it was only within the past couple of years, I thought, you know, what we really have to start having events. Let's do a master class where I can give my tips, my tricks, my techniques, my do's, my don'ts. Um, So usually what that is, is we have it pretty intimate, maybe a capacity of maybe 15 to 20. Um, It's about two hours long. So it's a lot of it's for professionals. It's also for people who are novice people just interested in eyebrows. I really can kind of read the crowd and I I like to give tips for everybody. Um, Sometimes I have estheticians, sometimes people travel in professionally for it. And sometimes it's just clients who just want a little bit of a deeper dive on the brow. So I, um, it's wine, it's cheese, it's snacks, you get settled in. And then I sit, I talk, I I have a model and I demonstrate. I demonstrate everything from the proper way to trim a brow, what brow tinting can do to help you, um, common mistakes you might be making in your brow a lot of demo, and then a really open floor kind of q and I've even had a lot of people Skype in for it. So, so we have like our, the computer set up and all people joining. Um, and I always like to include a little bit about branding and and, and stuff like that, it's social media and business, because it really does kind of permeate all, all things. Um, but the masterclass is my goal is for people to leave with a deeper understanding and appreciation of the eyebrow, whether that applies to their clients or to themselves. And then the last half is just kind of mingling, um, you know, and it's wonderful to see all of the participants kind of network with each other as well. We do them about two or three times a year. Um, I just did one at Soho House in New York. They invited me to do one for their members. Um, and so it's a lot of fun. And it's it's really kind of back to that pillar of the business, which is education. I'm here to teach and to help.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk beauty. Yeah. What is your technique that make you so popular with eyebrows?
1: So a lot of people wax or they thread. So I tweeze and trim. It's a sculptural process. So it's really about assessing the client. It's about talking to them first and getting a really good consultation on them. What is your brow story? That's something that we always ask. So I don't just jump in. I want to talk. I want to know what do you do for your brows? What have you done for your brows? Like, tell me about that time at the mall in 1994. <laughs> to talk about the trauma. Yeah. Here's a tissue. Yeah. And so it's starting with a really great understanding. Then it's a lot about bone structure because, you know, I always say your brows are hair on skin, on muscle, on bones. So I really like to feel that brow bone and surrounding bones, the zygomatic ridge, um, the cheekbone, the bridge of the nose. I take that into consideration as well. And also we have 20% male clientele. So the same kind of process applies for them. It's about their bone structure, which is notably broader, stronger. It means that they might need a fuller brow. So. Facial anatomy, that's a big one. Um, And then when I say sculptural, I almost feel like the brow is like a little bonsai tree and I'm kind of (laughs) honing in. And you really work from kind of general to specific. I think when you wax, for example, you're kind of just like, you know, it's a couple pulls and like, you know, Jesus take the wheel, like let's hope this goes okay.
0: Ripping the skin. (laughs) Oh,
1: it's not great in my opinion, right? And some wax is better than others. But with that said, I like to kind of work from general to specific and just sort of go from one brow to the next. So I guess the technique is facial anatomy, bone structure, lots of time working on um each brow one you know back and forth back and forth um like I said about 30 to 40 minutes of work and it's about the finest details. So in the beginning of course it could be just removing some obvious strays but the last 10 minutes of a brow shaping 5 or 10 minutes is like when the magic happens. It's like trimming 1/32nd of an inch of hair. It's tweezing that last one you weren't sure about. <laughs> so it's really 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 about the details and um leaving no hair unconsidered mm-hmm. and um, really developing a relationship with the brow and its its texture and its movement. I mean, it, it, it sounds insane, but it is insane. I think of them as like my friends, <laughs> <laughs> my little furry eyebrow yeah. friends. So I think that that's something that kind of, it's not for me, like a brow factory. It's like, it's a relationship with that client, understanding their brow history, and then setting them forward on like a brow journey.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think about those eyebrow tattoo trends?
1: So it's not my favorite. I mean, I think that like everything in life, if it sounds too good to be true, it it very often can be. Um, It's funny that you say trends because I do think it's going to fall into the category of a trend. Um, Some people do it better than others. I know people who are very happy with the ones that they have. For me, aesthetically, because I do care so much about the details, it just doesn't seem to satisfy my Joey Healy checklist of what I like to see in a brow. Um, Sometimes the color changes over time. It can get red and get blue. Um it is like a tattoo and I don't think people like that word. You know microblading is just like a branded term, but it's like it's semi-permanent makeup. And even semi-permanent, I feel like it's more permanent than people kind of let on. Like they'll say, you know, you need to touch up in a year, but it doesn't fade off in a year. It just fades down, but it's still kind of there. I know a lot of people who are not sure if they should touch up more or like stop and let it fade. Um, For me, it's just a little bit of a commitment because as we also see with other brow trends, they come and they go. And so sometimes, you know, I think decade by decade, it's like 80s thick, 90s thin, now it's thick. And you're going to be committed to something even if the trend, you know, and it's kind of, I guess, crazy to think that we're, we have the perfect, you know, quote unquote brow now, the trend might change and you might be stuck with what you've tattooed on. Um, Not my favorite. It's also just... Doesn't celebrate the flaws in the brow. You know, I like those little sprouts in the front that are fluffy. Sometimes there's a little cowlick or maybe even a little scar in the brow. And I like the acceptance of those things. Instead of making them these dead symmetrical, dark brown mirror images, there's something that just feels unnatural, you know? Yeah, because
0: sometimes it looks like a stencil, the same eyebrow on everyone else.
1: Totally. And that's like kind of goes against all of my philosophies, you know? And also with color, like I love my powders, my pencils, but all of the products that I sell, the idea is just like a whisper of color. Even if it's like our pomade brow whip, you can get a whisper of color. I
0: love that. A whisper of color. Just a little wow of oh, color. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: love that too because I don't like those hard lines, those opaque lines with microblading. The idea is not to have them be like a watercolor. The idea is to have line um space, line space to mimic the look of hair. That doesn't in a picture it can mimic the look of hair, but in person, it just kind of looks like lines on skin behind an eyebrow. So I like the use of color very much like you have right now. It's a soft whisper of color. They look fantastic. (laughs) And they don't have lines in them. You know, they have just, just, it looks like soft, soft density.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, even if you look at your own strand of hair, That one strand has different colors. It's not just like one thick, like, I don't know, pigment, right? No, it's not. And
1: the way, like, that's an interesting point. Like, um, in the light, maybe a curve of it will catch a little bit of light um, versus it being like a flat thing. You know, it's just... in pictures, if you're looking out at the Hollywood Hills right now, right. And you're seeing the sky and the mountains and like whatever, you know, the, the street, you're seeing it all in the dimension. But if you took a picture of it, it just flattens out and becomes one dimensional. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times these brows that are microbladed look good on Instagram because they really blend well, mm-hmm. but then when you see them in person, that depth isn't really there. So you kind of see hair on top of a very flat line mm-hmm. and that it feels very, you know, unthree three dimensional. And again, with that said, some people do a better job than others, yeah. but I've never, I've always been able to kind of clock it. That's yeah. another thing is you kind of want to be qu- with your brows, like a kind of quiet beauty, you know, you don't want your brows to enter the room before you do. And I think that that's like important, right? Because we all enhance them, but we want it to be subtle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, so how about those that don't have much hair on their eyebrows, yeah. what do they do? I think that's the reason why some get microblading, Absolutely,
1: right? and that's like, that to me is a little bit like kind of jumping the shark because there's so many things you could do before. Like I mentioned, a little bit of powder, a little bit of pencil, sometimes a combination of both. Brow tinting is huge at our brow studio. We offer two services, shaping and tinting. And tinting, we use a vegetable-based dye. We custom blend the colors. And it's, you know, every single hair counts, whether it's blonde or gray, or even if it's just sort of a dusty. I dye my own eyebrows and they, they don't, they're not any of those things, but they can just kind of be a flat, light brown. And I like them to be kind of rich and glossy. So it makes every little hair count, even those baby hairs. So sometimes people say, I have no eyebrows. And really, they just have like blonde brows or a lot of baby hair, but tinting then shaping, then a little bit of powder and you can have a totally different brow. Another product that I have, and it is the number one selling product since the beginning of my product line is called Brow Renovation Serum. It's a brow growth serum. It's peptide driven. It has peptides, amino acids, hyaluronic acid, botanicals, vitamins. It's a clear gel. You put it on your brows day and night. It helps them grow. I have some for you. Oh, I can't wait! <laughs> it's an amazing product. And that product has definitely been the backbone of the product line. It is our most popular product. Um, all of the products are under $30. That product mm-hmm. is 125. So it is a, you know, a more expensive treatment in the line. But with that said, it's well worth every penny and we really fly through it. And the repurchase rate on it is like 85% yeah. because it really works. So. If you haven't tried a serum, a powder, a shaping, a tinting, you're jumping over everything just to get to microblading and also like a serum at 125 is not inexpensive but microblading' is quite expensive. Yeah. It could be a thousand dollars
0: and you have to retouch.
1: You sure do, and yeah. also you're kind of stuck with it too. So there's a lot of options that you can have before you need a more permanent solution. And to be honest with you, I even, there's a great um, guy here, he's a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, Tim Neven. Um, he runs a company, Artisan of Beauty. He does brow transplants, hair transplants. Yeah. I would rather do that than microblading because I feel really? like there's texture. Oh yeah, yeah they true. And they take this um, the hairs, as I understand, from the nape of the neck and they transplant them. I would do that before I did kind of a semi-permanent tattoo There's options, and there's lots of them, and there's lots to choose from, but microblading isn't the only one, and it's important to know your options.
0: That's true. Your product, the one for regenerating the eyebrow hairs, can you use that for your lashes?
1: Yeah, you absolutely can. It's eye safe. Um, It's wonderful. It's when peptides are in long chains, they create proteins, which really are the building blocks of hair, and brow and lash operate in a very similar way. The trick with the lash product is ours comes with a mascara wand, which is great for the eyebrow. You just kind of comb it through. For lashes, you can transfer it to a smaller brush because you just want to paint it on like eye eyeliner at the base of the lash line, Mm -hmm. but it definitely gives you a lot of growth. It's safe for your eyes. And again, there's no hormones in it. There's things like. Latisse, which um, you know I have mixed feelings about, but it's it's a prostaglandin base. It's it's a hormone, and it does have noteworthy side effects, and it's prescription. And um, ours is not that. So
0: and it darkens the um, the skin, right? It can
1: darken the skin around Mm the application site, and it's not just where you put it. It can be like in a general sense, and not to mention like you know you can't use it when pregnant and breastfeeding. And ours you can, yeah. And even if you're not pregnant or breastfeeding, I wouldn't want to use something that would have that sort of you know warning because it just makes yeah. you think a little bit Additives. yeah b- people do anything for beauty you know whatever like it'll poison you you're like ah, it's cool <laughs> i it's want like, nice brows yeah or
0: there's formaldehyde at least i don't get wrinkles totally like
1: whatever i'll, <laughs> I'll die beautiful <laughs> it's like i'm bombing for that's fluid. what i
0: just mentioned i was like maybe i can die beautiful as long as my face is like hard rock exactly <laughs> that's like, can... like
1: stone right like marble <laughs> yeah people will do anything so ours is like very friendly in those ways and so it's great for lashes
0: yeah if you had to pick uh the perfect joey healy duo in your product line, what would they be?
1: You know, I'd say where you can kind of get the most mileage is one of the Brow Architect Stilo pencils and the Brow Structure Clear Set Gel. So if you're armed with a pencil and a clear gel, they could fit in your front pocket of your jeans. They're really kind of slim. The brush is a do- or the Brow Architect Stilo pencil is double-ended. It has a brush on one side, so you can kind of groom the brows. And then it's a triangular wedge um, of lead. It's great for imparting soft color. You can kind of blend it through. You can get some perimeter lines, but you can also get the effect of a powder and then clear brow gel. We have a product called Brow Structure Clear Set. Clear brow gel sounds boring, but ours is like more dynamic in what it doesn't do versus what it does do. It does not get crispy. It doesn't get crunchy. It doesn't get flaky. It doesn't get hard or shiny. So if you can push in a little bit of color and blend it through with the pencil here and there, and then a little like whip of clear brow gel, I feel like you can have everything that you need. Um, And that's a very Joey Healy look kind of full and dense and brushed up.
0: Oh, perfect! Yeah, walk me through the jo- how to get the Joey Healy eyebrows.
1: Ooh, how to get the Joey Healy eyebrows? So you're gonna open a Joey Healy studio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those,
0: <that's> <laughs> I'm gonna here, say Ellie.
1: the Joyce Healy. I'm like she took my gig. Um, well, the Joey Healy look for me, it's definitely more on the natural side. But I always say, you know, nature is awesome, but it's mm-hmm. not not always perfect with our brows, right? Because it can give us something that we need to enhance and work with. Um, the Joey Healy brow is it's customized. It's um, full. It's dense. It's um it's got a kind of a rebellious energy to it, right? Like I don't need every hair trimmed to the same length, for example. I like the hairs to kind of be feathery and fringy. Um, you know, people think about the 80s brow, is, it was really, really full and bushy. I think the difference between like the 80s brow and the brow that I love now is it's dark, it's full, it's dense, but there is a defined arch and there is a tapered tail. So for me, that brow kind of feels a bit like a like the boy brow kind of look. But it definitely honors the lift that people want to see in the arch. Um, So, yeah. And it's – but, you know, what What it's also not is that Instagram brow it's really heavily filled in. I think, you know, years ago people were not filling in their brows that much. Brow products weren't a big part of eye cosmetics. Now they are. And I think the pendulum kind of swung in the opposite direction where people are really filling in heavy. So mine is about honoring the natural brow, enhancing it as much as possible, Um, having a nice defined arch and a crisp tail, but definitely bold fringy and kind of like unabashedly wild with some rules. (laughs) A little bit of restraint.
0: Yeah, so here at Hello Beauty, we have a philosophy. It's called, say hello to the beauty in you. What advice can you give those who are trying to discover their beauty within?
1: That's a great question. Well, the beauty within is really what matters, right? They Mm -hmm. say, you know, people are like Oreos, the the good stuff's on the inside. (laughs) That is so true. Um, I think it's leaning into, you know, your quote unquote flaws. People are so um, quick to try to mimic a celebrity or an Instagram model and to, to assess themselves, find the problems, and then erase them or fix them. And fix is a funny word in beauty, too, because I like the word enhance. It's about bringing forward what you do like. And then other people are about erasing what they don't like and fixing it. And that can go, you know, as far as the injections and plastic surgery and to each their own. But I think it's about really embracing what makes you different. And I think that what makes you different makes you beautiful. And I find that in, in so many different people, it's, it's the unique qualities that they have. And that's on the, on the outside and the inside that make them memorable, special, interesting, you know, and I think, and sometimes in the strive of, of the perfect, you know, beauty routine. We just want to erase every pore, make everything perfectly symmetrical. And it, it makes a face uninteresting to me, not compelling at all. Um, so I think that the key for for unlocking inner beauty is to embrace your flaws and to celebrate them, um, and then to focus on the word enhancement and not fixing. And then I think if you can kind of look at beauty that way, then all of that great inner beauty inside, all that feel-good energy comes out, you give it to others, it kind of unlocks all of that great stuff. And also, you know, to me, really inner beauty is how you make others feel. You know, do you leave a room and everyone's pissed off and upset and sad and nervous and angry, or, or do you leave people with high energy, making them feel good? That to me is inner beauty is kind of you can you can see it on you, the person's effect on other people. And if you feel really good about yourself, you tend to bring that through to other people.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. that's important. Yeah, 100 percent. So where do you see your business in the next year or so?
1: Well, hopefully still open <laughs> <I'm writing. laughs> I, I think that's be. gonna happen. Yeah. Um, the next year or so, I would like to expand our hours for our New York City location, um, stretch them out and have multiple shifts so we can be open longer. It's that, that space is so wonderful. We have four stations. We usually have two or three going at a time. I'd like to see four going at a time. I'd like to have multiple shifts. Um, I have 24 products now. I'd like to see them more at 30. I'd love wider distribution of the products in stores and in retail. Um, Um, product distribution, product expansion. I might even want to try a skincare product in the line. I love the idea of doing like a facial mist. I use them all the time. We were discussing them earlier. I have them at every brow station, personal obsession. So I'd love to kind of expand the products into something a little bit broader. And I'd also like to continue to do more media and travel. Like I'm doing now here with you. I like, um, going around doing eyebrows you know, working um, with press and kind of getting out there and educating and kind of spreading the brow gospel. Yeah, like preach. Yeah, like a modern, brow <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> televangelist. Um, so it's kind of growing in all ways, but I definitely see myself in New York. And I, I, I would like to say that by that point, I think a second location, possibly in New York, possibly LA, possibly Miami, could be possible. Um, but just more of what I'm doing now, more stores, more products, more staff, more clients.
0: Yeah, do you still see clients yourself?
1: I do. I see 44 clients a week. um, And without them, I don't know that I'd love my job as much as I do because I have a very, very balanced job. I am doing the bookkeeping in the back office to 10 p.m. some nights. I am doing the product development, but I'm also hanging out with amazing people, rolling up my sleeves and working. And that's why I started it. And I still have a similar day to I did when I was 23. I mean, a lot of the work is very similar. Today, I had uh, 11 clients in in Los Angeles, and it was very much like um, doing the house calls, you know, figuring out the best lighting and all that. And I like being close to the clients.
0: Love it. Um, where can they find your products?
1: So my products, you can find them in many places. They're on Amazon. They're in stores in Manhattan and Los Angeles. Um, the easiest way to find them is joeyhealy.com, And that has all of the products, all of their descriptions, um, a find your shade chart, things that make it easy to navigate. And that's right on the website joehealy.com, where you can also go to learn more about services and book an appointment if you're in New York.
0: Yeah. Do you also have, are available in like Asia I read we some are yeah. yeah
1: we're sold in Sephora in Asia actually yeah it's cool so um that is in like Thailand Singapore Hong Kong Malaysia Thailand we have a, a good presence there and our products do well because they're waterproof in humid environments and we have such a great color range that it's they do very well in Asia which is a great market for us
0: Mm -hmm. Before I let you go, where can them find you and what are your social channels? Okay,
1: great. Uh, Joey Healy Browse is my social media on Twitter. It's also on Instagram. And, you know, I'm so known for that, that I had gotten a piece of mail addressed to me the other day that said, Mr. Healy Browse. I thought, (laughs) okay, (laughs) maybe I should change my name legally. So I'm Joey Healy Browse, H-E-A-L-Y on Twitter, Instagram. And you can also find our company page, Joey Healy on Facebook.
0: Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was
1: so much fun, Joyce. I really enjoyed it.
0: Hopefully next time you get to be a guest again. I will
1: be back here and you'll be the first call I make.
0: Definitely.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. I love all your feedback and hearing from you. If you enjoy this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Writing the review is so important as these help with our rankings and allow more people to find us and spread the word of positive beauty. Thank you so much. Until next time.